Welcome to today's episode of the Jack's Current, a podcast developed by Jack's USA, Northeast Florida's economic development organization. I'm Tina Wirth, specializing in workforce development, and I'm here with my co-host, Broderick Green, who leads business development in the IT, health, and life sciences sectors. How are you doing, Tina? I'm doing really great. So in this podcast and prior episodes, we've heard from local leaders about what makes our community so special and talked about some of our more memorable jobs announcements in the region. But we haven't really explored the factors behind a company's decision on where to relocate or expand. You know, Tina, we haven't had a chance to do that, and that really explains why I'm so excited today to introduce our guest. Uh, We have Mina Hall with us. She's one of my favorite economic development consultants and and really one of the sharpest minds in her field. And today, Mina's joining us by phone from her office in Chicago. So, Mina, let me take a moment to share a little bit about your background, and then we can get right into the conversation. Sounds good. Mina Hall is a managing director with True Partners and specializes in site selection and incentive negotiation for companies across the U.S. Mina has more than 20 years of experience as a consultant and has handled pretty much any type of project you can think of, including manufacturing and distribution facilities, data centers, back office operations, retail and headquarters relocations. She's active in the economic development industry, speaking at conferences and working with economic development organizations across the U.S. As a matter of fact, I just heard from her recently in New Orleans and Chicago. So she received her B.A. from the University of Illinois and her J.D. from Loyola University. She currently resides in Chicago, where she serves on the board of Open Books, a nonprofit committed to inspiring kids to read through creative programs. And she's fluent in Korean. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) That's quite an impressive bio, honestly. (laughs) So, Mina, for those listening. a little embarrassing. Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. For those listening who may not fully understand the role of a site consultant in terms of the economic development process, can you give us a quick overview of what you do and the role you play in helping bring jobs and capital investment to a community like Jacksonville? Okay, that's a pretty easy one. So as a site selection consultant, um, I typically help companies find the most cost-effective location that serves its needs with the best possible workforce available based on the requirements that each project demands. So different requirements will be for a corporate headquartered or office jobs versus a manufacturing job. Therefore, uh, the site selection is the beginning or a continuation of a long relationship with the company as well as the communities in which they will ultimately choose. As part of the analysis, I also identify some of the shortfalls and barrier costs that may be associated with each location we're looking at. And I will work with the local EDOs and other officials, such as yourselves, to find uh, mutually beneficial solutions to make each location as attractive and cost-effective as possible. In a nutshell, that's kind of what I do. You know, here's an area that is often misunderstood by the general public, and that is corporate incentives. Can you talk about the role that they play in the economic development landscape? Absolutely. Um, so I'd say 20 years ago, this was very, uh, it was a rare discussion or a discussion that was brought up by the consultant, not necessarily the company. And more and more now, I have companies, CEOs and C-suites asking me before I can even beg the question, they'll ask me about the incentive. So just as a 20,000 foot overview, I mean, typically in a site selection, there's always going to be more than one location competing for a project. Um, And since all business operations have a lot of a cost associated with it, we, as site selection consultants, we help balance our clients' costs in each location and, number two, the cost of the jurisdiction along with the expected benefit they would be receiving, which may be new jobs, increased um, tax revenues, intellectual capital, etc., So when we're down to the final two or three states, every location should be pretty similar in total cost. So, and in total adequacy of workforce, the types of utilities that may be required, availability of land, 
So as such, the differentiating factor um, will be the incentives offered by each jurisdiction. Since almost all states have incentives these days, it is now part of the decision that the C-suite wants to incorporate into their site selection analysis. So all things being equal, the incentives really should help highlight one location over another. And so for us as uh, consultants, our main goal is that we always want to help build a strong, effective, and overwhelming net positive relationship between our client and the jurisdiction and so that there's positive growth of both long after the incentives are you know, long gone and have been fully utilized. That's helpful because a lot of times I know there's some, just some clarity that needs to be put onto that particular topic. Um, even though the economy right now is faring pretty well in most places, um, for many state and local governments, money is still very tight. And so, right. you know, let's be honest, right now we're in a global competitive marketplace. What are some of the unique things that you've seen in terms of partnerships between communities and local companies that help to address some of that tension? When money is tight, and as a lot of state and counties and cities are, you know, grappling with, you know, how do you still entice a company and entice a location um, to be feasible for a project, um, and especially knowing that incentives may be out there and that's part of the analysis. So I'd say for companies that um, are not already in the community, I think the communities themselves have to be pretty creative and try to look for out-of-the-box solutions that may fit a company's needs. They may not always be monetary value needs, cash, um, and sometimes there are other gestures and things that you can do to persuade a client. So for example, you know, if you're courting a corporate headquarters type of operation and you can try to work with some of the local schools to secure positions for future enrollment for children of the relocated families, something else we've seen has been like providing um, immediate in-state tuition eligibility for relocated workers versus having a residency requirement after a couple of years, looking for opportunities to place the relocated employees on possible uh, nonprofit boards. That's always something that, you know, is a, is a big attraction for corporate execs for corporate headquarter relocation types of activities. And then there's other things such as like, you know, setting up jobs fairs for trailing spouses because usually those are the underemployed or they may be leaving a job um, to which there might be a great one available in your community. Other creative solutions that stick out that although may not be completely relevant to Florida, um, but nonetheless, very creative in my mind was um, in one jurisdiction in a snowy state, they offered plowing services to a company if they located their facility. So that, you know, is not a huge cost, but from a company perspective, it was a very creative solution that, you know, shows that the community really wanted them. And then another one that um, sticks out, too, is a client that couldn't utilize any of the state-level incentives that were being offered for a food manufacturing facility but they did need a solution to try to drive, cut their drive time once they got into the local community. And um, what the state did along with the company and, and they partnered with the Department of Transportation is they got together to help create the first half of a diamond interchange off the interstate, which was far more valuable to the company to not only help them take up less traffic on the roads, um, but it also cut some of the time from cutting through their local downtown area, and it also helped the community as it provided another interstate entrance and exit, um, thereby lessening some of the traffic. So, again, not necessarily always pure high-dollar-driven, although the last case was, but it does add benefit for everyone as a whole, typically if done well. Broderick, I think we could safely, in Jacksonville and Northeast Florida, offer plowing services <laughs> at a very low cost. Um, we, I think we should just add that right up front. In the event of catastrophic snow, 
it is all the plowing. I'm sold. Can. Yeah, that, that's, a, that, that's a great idea, Tina. An amazing idea. <laughs> I really like some of those examples of some of the, um, th- those creative solutions because A, they work community-wide, but they also work internal to specific companies, particularly supports for trailing spouses. Um, we have some support networks that are sort of naturally formed, but you do spark the thought of formalizing those a little bit more. And the nonprofit board, really getting people connected into the community is a big piece. So thank you for sharing those examples with us. Um, and to that end, available talent is one of the most, if not the most, important assets for communities right now. So um, how do you attract the right talent, especially for the millennial generation? And based on some of your recent projects, what's most important to them and what should we be focusing on as a community to ensure that we are, in fact, uh, competitive as well? So millennials seem to be the hot topic of the day, um, if not the last couple of years. Um, And since they are the fastest growing segment of the workforce, clearly it's a discussion that's not going to go away. As such, many of my client companies are targeting their recruitment efforts towards trying to recruit these millennials, and they want to go where the millennials want to live. Based on my recent experiences, my clients are looking at areas with a cool urban feel kind of spaces, you know, basically converted lofts, exposed bricks and ducks. They also want areas where the millennial employees can walk to work so they don't have to sit in traffic unlike my generation. (laughs) They also want to be able to walk to the nearest brew pub and, you know, after getting their nails done or from a man's perspective, getting their beards man it cured. (laughs) 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 And, um, Drop by the local market to pick up tonight's ready-made meal and then, you know, maybe go to a trendy new restaurant. I mean, that's just during the week. And then on the weekends, they want the ability to go to the beach to play, go golfing with their buddies, or, you know, all without having to fly somewhere or drive too many hours to get there. I think from what we're seeing is that this generation has a live, work, and play mentality that other generations, you know, really worked hard to do. And then they also worked hard to get there. Um, in terms of drive times and, you know, distances. So it seems that um, in this generation, uh, working for and creating unique opportunities for something like this, it's great for regions like, Jack, you know, the Jacksonville region. Your proximity specifically to several amazing world-class beaches, you know, your access to water sports, you have some amazing world-class golf courses, and then all while being able to maintain a lifestyle at a lower cost of living than a lot of communities um, that are out there currently. And it's no wonder that, you know, based on some of your recent wins, that you've been named the number two city with the most vibrant employment scene. I think that says it speaks volumes. And uh, the millennial generation all want to hear about what other people are doing and where they're living. And it's probably the most social media-driven generation we've seen. So when they hear how cool a location is, you know, it only further drives more communication and more thoughts and more discussions on social media, which will help continue to drive the millennial generation into your region, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like the one commercial when we were younger, when they say, and so on, and so on, and so on. It was like a hair shampoo <laughs> commercial. I mean, that's exactly how I see the millennial generation, and I'm really dating myself now, too. <laughs> but I think that's what they're doing, is they hear, and they talk about it, and then your reputation will just continue to grow which is why I've always thought Jacksonville was such a great place. So that, that's actually very insightful there. So here's, here's an easy one for you. Um, if you were leading your own economic development organization, you know, what's the one piece of advice that you would give your team about working with site consultants on projects? 
I think you could just have this discussion by yourself, Roger, <laughs> because Jack Searcy does it so amazingly well. Um, no, and I truly do, you know, not just do. <laughs> she likes us. She really likes I, us. I just love you all. Um, no, it's, I think you guys do it well. You guys build relationships, and then, you know, these relationships further the trust. So when we have a project and we know there's a sensitive timeline or we know there's a really big confidentiality aspect to it, we know that we can come to you and get the results or information or answers that we need pretty fast and that we're not just, we're coming to you because we know we can get what we need in a shorter amount of time and that you'll actually answer calls. And that's all based on the relationships that we've built over the years. And I'd say that from about 20 years ago, it's a 180-degree difference from... I remember when I first started out, there are certain ADOs that treated all the site consultants like at the enemy. And it is totally not the case right now. If anything, I hear more EDOs saying, hey, I wish they hired a site consultant because, you know, we typically help educate them along the way on what they should be looking for, what's important, and help them figure out the best possible fit for what their project needs. That's a great point because ultimately, if this work is going to be successful, it ends up being a partnership among multiple stakeholders. And so, you know, I want you and your colleagues to look good for your clients and and hopefully vice versa in terms of our community. So, Mina, this has been great. Thank you so much. Before we let you go, we always like to end each podcast with a fun question that kind of highlights something unknown about each of our guests. So, I hope you're ready. Oh, boy. Okay. Right, so, <laughs> so I, I know you're a big baseball fan and you're there in Chicago. So, imagine it's game seven, bottom of the ninth, bases are loaded, <laughs> You're going up to bat. What's your walk-up music? <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, no, I have a new favorite song that I've been loving. It's by One Republic, and it's called I Live. And it basically talks about how there's no regrets. You're going to do everything in your life and give it your best. And you will never have regrets, and that's what I want for myself and for my kids. So that's my song. <laughs> that's the perfect choice. <laughs> that's the perfect choice. So, I mean, like it was fun or something. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for sitting down with us for a few minutes and sharing your insights on talent and partnerships and how communities need to remain competitive. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so fun hanging out with you all. And thanks, everyone, all of you in our audience, for tuning in to The Jack's Current. Join us next month. And remember, in the meantime, just subscribe to us on iTunes and talk about us to your friends. Until next time.